0: Howdy, EBC. Good to see you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Man, I've been singing that song all week. What a great song, because it's a song about our faith and who our God is. And as we continue to worship this morning, we have worshiped this morning by bringing gifts to the Lord as they're going to go out all over the world here in the next couple of weeks. Excited about that. We're going to get to touch lives for Jesus, children's lives all over the world. We've got to sing to the Lord. We've prayed together. Now let's open the word of God together. And so if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans chapter eight, as we continue to worship in that manner, we're going to we're going to open the word of God. But before as we continue also in our series, you can also look with me in second Corinthians. We'll also be in second Corinthians. So keep your finger and one or both of those as we'll look at those here in a few moments as we're continuing in our series called when life gets hard. Now, here's what I know. Life is very difficult. And some of you are going through some incredible challenges in your life right now. You're going through difficulties, maybe through some relationships that are broken. You may be going through a job problem, financial mess that maybe you find yourself in right now. It could be that you're just going through a a pattern of grief in your life because you've lost a loved one. But life is really hard. In fact, to be sure this is really applicable for all of us today, I mean, is there anybody in here that's never been through a hard time? I just want to know, okay? If you've never been through a hard time, you're probably under the age of five, maybe, okay? You've never had a spouse, you've never had kids, you've never had to pay a bill, okay? Um, you've probably never had a pulse, is what I'm trying to get at. We all go through hardships. We, we read and we as we recited the Word of God together, what Jesus told us, in this world, you will have, and it, this is the way he said it, many trials, right? Many sorrows in this world, right? In this world, he said this. Before we even break open the Word of God this morning, I want you to capture this thought. If you are ever going to be able to move forward in maybe the loss that you've experienced in your life, or the grief that you are struggling with, it could be the loss of a, of a dream that you had, maybe uh, something's going on with kids of yours that they haven't quite worked out the way and things in their life. Have, I, I don't know what it is for you. But if you're ever going to be able to move forward and not get stuck as we talked about how people get stuck emotionally in their grief and they never move forward through their grief. And we're not talking about getting over it. We're talking about getting through it, moving forward through it. You don't ever get over it, but you can get through it. If you're ever going to be able to move forward, you're going to have to capture this thought as a Christ follower, as a believer. Here's a key thought for you right up front. I want to give it to you up front. This is a good thing to write down. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's number one purpose for your life is that you become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. His number one purpose in your life is not that you are just comfortable all the time in this world. Or that things are easy for you all of the time. Or that you're just happy externally all of the time because your circumstances are perfect and and all packed in nice and tight all together and everything works out for you. That's not God's number one purpose in your life as some would suggest that it's all just about this life right here in the here and now. God's number one priority in your life is shaping you and making you to look more like His Son Jesus Christ and here's what that means. That's going to be a development process, right? It's going to take some work in your life because most of us, and I'd say all of us on our own, we don't look a whole lot like Jesus in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, and the way that we treat other people on our own. There has to be a process that God begins to take us through as a development of our character that He wants to do in our lives is His primary focus in your life. It's not your short-lived happiness right here and right now. You see, what we've kind of bought into as believers and, and I don't know if it's because we live here in the West and this is our mentality, is we have bought into everything that matters is the here and now. Right now, where we get to live in this maybe 60, 70, if you're lucky, 80 or 90 years, we put, place so much emphasis on this in the here and now because it's all we can see right now. But God is so much more interested in developing us to look more and more like His Son Jesus. This is His divine work that He does within us. We're called to emulate Christ to others. As we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're left here on this earth to be able to emulate Christ to other people. So, so whenever you come to faith in Jesus and you're saved by God's grace, it's not by how good of a person you can be, right? It's not how much you already look like Jesus that you get to go to heaven, right? Or that you get to have Jesus in your life. It's not by how good of a person is, how many boxes you give, or how much you tithe, or how often you go to church, how much you read. That's not why we're saved and how we're saved. We're saved by God's grace in our life, receiving something that we don't deserve, and we receive that in faith. Okay? Now, so there are three parts of your salvation that as you receive Christ in faith, and I want to explain this to you so that you understand what's happening in your life as we've been saved from what is called the penalty of sin, what this is called, this is called justification. In other words, this is a theological term that means you've been made just as if you've never sinned because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you've trusted in Him, you have been made righteous in the the presence of God. This is past tense. This has already happened. You have been saved. Now, not only has He saved us in that sense where we have been saved, but you are being saved right now. There's a process that's happening in your life where you are being saved not only from the penalty of sin, you have been saved from the power of sin in your life. In other words, because you're in Jesus Christ now, that sin no longer holds you captive. You're no longer in bondage to that you are being saved. You're being made to look more like Jesus. This is the second part of your salvation, which is called sanctification. Sanctification is a, is a theological term that a lot of people, we don't talk a lot about today. Um, it's not preached a lot about by using this word. We may preach about it, but we don't use this word because we think that people are not going to capture what this word means. And so we stay away from words like this. But I know you're smart. And I know that you want to know this. And I know that you need to know this in your life. Sanctification deals with the fact that you are being saved right now. It's present tense. It's what God is doing in your life right now. Justification is past tense. Sanctification is present tense. By the way, there's another part of our salvation that is called glorification. And glorification is future tense. Glorification is this, is that you're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Okay, where we will be, as we're given a glorified body in Jesus Christ, we'll no longer be in the presence of sin any longer. We'll not be in this broken world anymore. Amen? Aren't you glad? We won't have to deal with the sorrows that we deal with today. That's glorification. By the way, that's future tense. So that's the three parts of our salvation. But today, I want to talk to you about how in our times of shock... And that's the stages of grief and the stages of loss in our life that we talked about our responses. I want to talk to you about how in our times of shock, or when we experience sorrow, as we said, that's kind of the second part of that. Or as we experience struggle, as Pastor Randy spoke on that a few weeks ago. And then last week I spoke to you about surrender. And that's how can you actually begin to have peace in your life as you go through hardships, What I want to take you to next is what is called the sanctification part of this process. These stages that we've been studying, I want you to see today is that because of who God is and that we just sang about His sovereignty. You know that that song that we just sang about Him being sovereign over us? That is an incredible declaration of your faith of who God is. That's what you're saying. Even what the enemy means for evil, God, in faith, I'm trusting you turn it for good because of who you are, not because of who I am or what I can do. God, this is what you're doing. Now, what this actually means is that God can use everything, the good situations that you find yourself in. God can use the bad situations in your life. He can even use what other people have done to you that are bad situations in your life. God, because of who he is, is working, as Scripture says and as we just sang, He's working everything together for his good and for our good. He didn't say that it's all good. But God and his sovereignty can can take even the bitter things in our life and can work them for our good. Look with me in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. In chapter 7, Paul has has been talking in chapter 6 and 7 about our struggle with the flesh. And then in chapters eight, he's going to begin to speak about life and the spirit. And in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, what he's going to say, Paul is going to write this. He says, and we know this. We don't have to guess about this. We don't have to speculate. Paul says, we know this, that for those who love God. Now, what does the next two words say? Say it with me out loud, church. All things. Say it again with me. All things. What does that mean? We know this. We don't have to guess. We know for sure that that for those who love God, which that would say that's not for everyone. This is for those who are Christ followers. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. And I want you to say the next part of this out loud. Let's say it out loud. Let's all participate. To be conformed to the image of His Son. Say it again with me. To be conformed to the image of His Son. What is that right there? That is what is called sanctification. That is the process that He's taking you through. He's conforming you to the image and to the likeness of His Son as you're called to emulate Christ to those who are around you. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be like Jesus? Well, the Bible calls this in Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. But in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible gives us, a, gives us a perfect image because we're such visual beings and we want to see this. He gives us an image of what this would look like, and it's called the fruit of the Spirit. This is fruit that's being produced in your life. And these are nine qualities that are listed in the book of Galatians in this great letter. The fruit of the Spirit is a great picture of what Jesus looked like when He walked on his flesh, on this earth in His flesh. It's a great picture, and and again, you don't have to turn there, but what did Jesus look like? He looked like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And what's this one that we don't like? Self-control, okay? That is a perfect picture of Jesus. And what God wants is He wants your life to be a life that embodies love, to be the embodiment of faithfulness and gentleness, and peacefulness. He wants you to look like Christ in that sense. What does that look like in your life? He wants your life to be a life that's filled with patience. He wants you to be demonstrating that. So so check that out. That's the sanctification process that God's doing in your life. So check this out. The way that God produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life is by placing you in or allowing you to go through and be in the exact opposite situation for that specific characteristic that He is developing within your life? Let me me explain it to you this way. And this is going to be exciting for you, okay? For instance, love. How does God begin to develop you into a loving person? Is it by allowing you to just be around people all the time that love you and that are easy to love? People that are just like you that you really love because they're just like you, right? Okay? And so you really love them. How does God develop love in your life? Um, it, it, it often comes by being around what we call around here at Eagles View Church, EGRs. We call them this, Extra Grace Required. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Does anybody know any EGRs? Raise your hands up. Okay, okay. All right? And uh, anybody sitting next to an EGR? Just wondering. Now, don't put your hand up. Okay, just kidding. And... Uh, some of you are like, man, I, I don't know any. You're probably an EGR, just saying, all right? But you might be. I don't know. You could be. But, but how does God teach you how to love? How does he teach you how to love? It's often by allowing you to be around people that are difficult to love. Because then you begin to get this opportunity to exercise this part of, of this development, this character development in your life. Jesus said this. He said, man, anybody can love people that love them. He told the Pharisees that. Anybody can love people all around Jesus, though, what did he say? I I want you, though, to begin to love people that mistreat you. What? Yeah. I want you to begin to love people that aren't kind to you. By the way, you're going to get an opportunity to exercise all this as the Thanksgiving holidays are rapidly approaching and your families are coming into town and you're all going to be sitting around the table. This is a great exercise, of sanctification that's happening in your life. Praise God. That's what you can say, okay? How about joy? How are you going to begin to experience joy? What God produces this joy in my life, oftentimes it comes by allowing me to go through trials and struggles and sorrows, and and then there's a joy that is beginning to be produced within me that really almost doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't add up as people see that. It's not happiness, because happiness we know is dictated by our external circumstances around us, but this is a joy that's there even when life stinks. You say, is it possible? Paul talks about it all in the book of Philippians. So it's possible in Christ to experience that. What about peace? How does God teach us peace? We go through times of stress, and often we go through times of conflict where God allows us to be in places of conflict. It's easy to be peaceful when everything is, is going your way, when everything's all packaged together nicely for you. But if you're going to become a man or a woman of peace that God desires for you to begin to look like, God will place you or allow you to go through times of conflict so he can begin to develop a peace within you. How would you ever know what that peace that passes all understanding looks like if you were never in any kind of place of conflict or stress? You'd never know that kind of joy. You'd never know that kind of peace, and that it's possible. How about patience? Oh, this is going to be a great one coming up for the holidays, right? Where do we learn patience? Here's where we learn it: is by being forced to wait. It's when we wait in lines. It's when we wait for an answer to prayer. Even in the song we were singing, he even used the word sanctification. He says, you're sanctifying us while we wait. I thought, that's my message right there. Okay? He's working on us right here. How is he teaching us patience? When we drive in the metroplex, where there are not enough roads for the amount of people, God is actually taking you through a sanctification process. He's teaching us patience. He's making you more like Christ. Now, just as a quick side note, I'm going to just bring it to you, okay? One of the things I love about Eagles View Church is that your pastors can be real, and we can tell you when we mess up, and we can tell you when we struggle, and so let me just let me just be real with you for a few minutes, okay? Uh, this is, could be what we call confessions of a pastor, okay? If there was some music going on behind us, over the last kind of uh, uh, over the last couple of months, I'm being honest with you. Some of you may lose some respect for me. I don't know, but. Um, God's giving an opportunity to exercise patience with me, okay? And so over the last few months, I've been what I would call the road rage pastor. I'm just going to tell, tell you, I've, I've struggled greatly lately. I have been the road rage pastor. The sticker of Eagles View Church needs to come off. I am very sorry. And can I get a witness? That our roads are filled with plenty of idiots, okay? That's the greatest amen perhaps I've ever gotten here at EVC. I can hear it. And for the more politically correct, and maybe for those of you who are more spiritual than I am, we would call them vehicularly challenged, right, okay? But I just prefer to call them idiots and keep it simple, okay? But Jesus loves them, and I need to learn to love them, okay? So I go through cycles of how I deal with them, okay? Sometimes I'm better than others, but the last couple of months, it's not been good. It's not been good. And, and so I've really just been feeling, and I'm being honest about this, I'm being truthful, I've really been being convicted about my responses. Now, there have been no birds flying. That would be another kind of eagle's view, okay? And that's, so you can rest assured that's not been happening. But let's just say that, that my patience level has been horrible, and it, I'm telling you, it robs me of my joy, and I will just be. And I've got these veins on the side of my heads, uh, my head, my head. Okay, my one head here. And on, and and they just by the time I get home, they are just about to explode. And so what I've been getting is the no turn signalers, and these people, they need Jesus more than anybody else. I'm convinced. The ones where you're you're sitting there at the intersection, and they're coming, and you could go if they would let you know, but then they don't, and they just turn, and you're like, dude, I could have went, you know, and okay, thank you, thank you, okay, the the no turn signalers, man, those people need the Lord, the tailgaters, okay, and, and we won't even talk about them, because, you know, that's oftentimes where the eagle's view does come in sometimes, and And the people who like to drive 20 miles per hour slower than the speed limit, and out here, the roads aren't big enough, and you can't pass, and so you're stuck. And then you're in a hurry, and you know this is what's going on, all right? And and to kick it up a notch in patience, I am trying to teach my teenage son how to drive right now. That's enough, okay, just to be said right there in and of itself. So let's just say this, okay, a few mornings ago, I, I was seriously having a time of prayer. I was praying, and this is one of the things that I do. I, I suggest you do this. I was saying, God, are there some things in me that aren't right that I need to get right with you and and that I need to confess to you and, and you know, search me, Lord? And, and the Lord began to speak to me about my attitude in driving. And I, I started getting a little defensive at that point as I'm kind of dealing with him, and I'm like, wait a minute here, Lord, you know? And I really began to feel him convicting me about this, and I started even kind of arguing with him a little bit. I'm like, Jesus, you had to walk everywhere, okay? You, you didn't drive. Like, like, and that, that argument didn't work very long, okay? But he just really began, and I, I really went to a place of just saying, you're right, I have been horrible lately in this area. I'm a leader in a church. And my patience level has been out of control. I've been embarrassed by the way that I've even acted in front of my kids. And it got serious, okay? This is a serious time. I'm, I'm being serious now. I realized that I really needed to get this right with God. And so I said, God, man, I need you to help me because I don't have this in me. I need you to teach me to be more patient with people. Teach me to be a little more kind because I'm not kind in and of myself. Lord, I need you to help me be more gentle with other people. Even the inconsiderate, no signal using, and I went off on that for a minute, and I had to come back to it. All right, but here's here's what I know. Newsflash is God doesn't zap you, and you're filled with patience. It's not zap you're a more patient person now. We wish it was like that, right? Or you're more kind, because you got zapped, and now you're more kind, and... Or you're more gentle, and you have all that's not how it works. So, because I know that the Lord is actually working in me, He's doing something in me, I will tell you this my perspective has been different the rest of this week, and it has been comical how many tests I have had this week from the Lord. I don't think anybody uses their turn signal anymore in Saginaw, is what I've discovered this week. I think the Lord spoke to everybody and said, don't use them, all right, because that's been happening. But my perspective this week has been different. It's been different because, and I've even been chuckling out loud a little bit, not like psycho laughing, like, (laughs) you know, but just chuckling out loud, like, I know you're doing something here. I know you're teaching me some things. My kids are watching me. You know, like, what is he going to do? This guy here is driving like five miles per hour and he won't let us go around. What's he going to do? And I'm like, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that. And and that's not what I do. But my perspective has been different. Rather than getting angry, getting bitter, what I know is this, because I prayed for it, I do know this, that the Lord is making me more like Jesus. And being patient and being kind and being being these, these certain things. Now, some of you have been through some devastating things in your life, and I'm not trying to trivialize what you're going through. That's a small thing in my life that I'm talking about where I know with perspective that God is working something even in my life. These problems in our lives are not without purpose. By God's sovereignty according to Romans 8.28, they're all working together. Now by themselves, they're not good in any kind of way. But as God begins to take them and shape them in our lives and use even the things that that, that have happened in our lives, that are hardships and difficulties. Here's what I know is that the hard part of hearing this today is that he works all things together for our good. The hard part is hearing that he even uses our pain and our suffering. And those experiences are also not without a purpose. Things that the Lord will use in our lives to make us more like Jesus, to, to sharpen us, to be more like His Son. How does God sanctify us? Is a way we would ask that question. He uses the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and He begins to give us power that we did not have on our own to be able to be more patient and kind and loving. The Lord places that within you as you yield and surrender to Him on a daily and moment by moment basis. So the Holy Spirit produces love and joy and peace. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. And He also uses His Word in our lives. We let His truth into our minds. And and Jesus, as He prayed for His disciples in John 17, He said this. He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. And He said, "Thy, Thy Word is what is true. And so as you're hearing and receiving the Word of God, you're being sharpened by the Word of God today. What I also know is He uses other people to sanctify us. People give us support. They challenge us. They teach us. They encourage us. They hold us accountable to become more like Jesus. But it seems like one of the greatest ways that I observe in my life and in the lives of others and many here in Eagles View Church that God uses to make us more like His Son Jesus is through our problems, our pressures, and our pains. We're transformed to be more like Jesus through suffering. Jill Molinax, as Pastor Randy and I went to visit with the Molinaxes a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that Jill said was this. She said, is, "She said We are devastated as we're going through what we're going through. And some of you don't know who that is, but there are family in our church that's going through great loss of health. And, and Malcolm um, is, is soon to be on hospice. And, and it's just, it, things are progressing in that area. And Malcolm is not long for this world. He knows where he's going. He's at peace. But it's still hard as they're in their loss right now. But what Jill said, she said, in all of this devastation, in all of this that we're going through, I know this that God is tenderizing our hearts. You know what that is? That is sanctification. She said, He's making us love people more around us, we're more kind. We're more loving to people. We're more patient with people. He's tenderizing our, ha- our hearts. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, wrote this. And the great author, he wrote this about pain. He has a book called The Problem of Pain. And he went through the loss of a spouse. And as he went through this, he struggled greatly with God as a theologian. And he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences. But he shouts in our pain to us in our pains. So we can know that as a believer, God doesn't waste any situation in our life. He never even wastes our pain. We can know there's a place for it. There's a purpose in it. And we can have a perspective of it as a believer. Now I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where I want to give you Paul's perspective of the hardship and the pains that he was going through by being a follower of Jesus Christ and And I want to read this passage to you starting in verse 7 and listen to the Word of God and let it speak into your heart. He says this, Paul writes, we now have this light shining in our hearts. What is the light? It's the Gospel. It's this truth. It's this hope. He says we now have this right now in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. These bodies that we have in this world right now, what he's saying is these things are fragile. They are broken. They're easily broken is what Paul is saying, but they are containing this great treasure. What's the treasure? Again, it's the gospel. It's the hope. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Okay, so Paul's saying, you see all the brokenness in my life. You see how hurt I am right now you see all the things that are happening in these fragile clay jars that we have in this world right now? So anything that's powerful, I want you to see, comes from God. It points back to God. Now, listen as he begins to talk about what kind of pressures and struggles he's having. We are pressed on every side by, what's the word? Troubles. Paul says we are pressed. Man, we are facing pressure. It is stressful right now. But we are... We are not crushed, he says. So, even there, there's hope. We're perplexed, he says. We don't understand it all with these eyes that we have right now. We can't, we don't get it all. We're even a little bit, maybe even confused about why we're going through some of the things that we're going through. Man, we love the Lord. We're doing these things for Jesus, but we're still suffering. But he says this we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down. We feel like everyone is against us, is what he's saying, because of the gospel message. But we are never abandoned by God, he says. We get knocked down. That's that sucker punch in life that we've been talking about. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We said last week that your problems, you can either let them destroy you, define you, or what? Develop you. What is that? That is sanctification that is God uses them. They're not for waste. He says this that as as we continue looking in the scripture though. He says as I feel like everyone's against me, I'm be, I've been not abandoned by God, I've been knocked down but not destroyed. Now look at verse 10, through suffering. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So as I was reading that, I was like, seen by whom? It's the rest of the world. It doesn't have the hope that you have as a believer. You see, Christ's follower, the rest of the world is watching how we respond to our hardships. And so often, if we're honest, and I would be honest about this, is that there are a lot of times in my life where well, I would say that in my flesh, I am no different than the rest of the world when it comes to hardship. But Paul is saying we're called to be different in our responses. We can't control what happens to us, but our responses, is something that's something that we can control. He says in verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. He's facing hardship because He's actually proclaiming the Gospel. So that the life of Jesus... That is the life, the resurrection life will be, what does he say? Evident. It's something that's seen by others. It's evidenced in the way that you live in our dying bodies. So Paul wasn't so much focused on what was happening to him right now as much as the big picture of what was transpiring. So Paul says in verse 12, so we live in the face of death. We keep on living. We live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you Paul saying you came to faith in Jesus because you saw the suffering in our life and how we responded one of the other things that Malcolm and Jill has told us is they said when you do when you and Randy when you guys are doing our funeral and you or, or you're doing the funeral for Malcolm Malcolm has said this this he's had the opportunity to say this is what we want This is what we want to see happen. We want the gospel proclaimed. They said we will have a number of family members that are watching us right now go through this that they don't have the hope of Jesus Christ and they don't understand how it is that we've been so devastated but yet we can still be so peaceful. They said, whatever you do, preach the gospel that day. Preach the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying right here, you came to faith in Christ because you've seen how I've suffered and I've suffered well for Jesus. One thing that can never be argued is the peace that you have in hardship. There's a, I want you to know this, that, that you may be going through some difficulty in your life, but God may be doing an incredible work in your life, dear friend, to bring people around you to Christ because of what you're going through right now. I want you to hear this. The Scripture says that you are not your own any longer. Amen? Which means you belong to Him. Which means that He uses our lives for His greater good, for His purpose, for eternal things. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price is what the Scripture says about you. So if you are to to be used by God, it's imperative that you be grounded in your faith. It's imperative that as you go through hardship, you're not going to be the one that's getting washed over because of the current that takes you a certain direction, but you're grounded in your faith because a lost and hopeless world is watching your response to the difficulty in your life. There's a great book I've been rereading. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer lived back during the World War II era. He was a great German pastor and a theologian. And he had incredible courage that God gave him. He was a man's man who stood up to Adolf Hitler. He was a pastor who said to Hitler, What you're doing is immoral. The way you're treating the Jews is wrong. The totalitarian regime you're putting in place is wrong. He stood up to Hitler. He was teaching in in England as the war was going on and as he was taking this hard stance of, of, towards what was right and what was true and what was moral. His friends and his family begged him to stay in England. But he said he felt a strong call towards from God to go to Germany, to go back to Germany where he did go. And they said, when you get there, they're going to arrest you. They're going to put you in, in a prison camp. He said, I need to do what my Lord has told me to do. I'm going to be a part of the resistance. I'm going to stand up to Hitler. He went back to Germany He was apprehended, he was arrested, and he was put in a death camp. In this death camp where he was at with a number of other prisoners, in this concentration camp, he suffered greatly for two years at the hands of the Nazis who tortured him, who mistreated him, who threatened his his fiancée and his mother and his father and said that unless you recant your stance towards Hitler... We are going to not only hurt you, we're gonna hurt all of your family, and he refused to recant. The Gestapo and the Nazi regime sought by all means necessary to get him to go back on his stance of morality, and he suffered greatly for his stand. He suffered for a two-year period in Flossenburg prison in nineteen forty five because of his stance for his stand for Christ and for morality. And standing up to Hitler, he was 39 years old when he was hanged there in that prison. And the day of his death was only 11 days before the U.S. troops came and rescued all of those who were in that prison camp. He died 11 days before that happened. But on the day of his death, these were his final words. He said, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. All of those who witnessed his hanging that day heard him say that. It's the beginning of life. How could he say that? He had had greater perspective. He understood that there was more to life than just what's happening right now. As he went to the gallows, he had a peace-filled demeanor that's noted by so many others that witnessed this, even the Nazi guards alike and what stood out to me the most in this book was that as he was suffering, he was noticed by the Nazi guards for being incredible, incredibly peaceful in the midst of his suffering. The, the book will even talk about how Nazi guards, others will talk about this, how Nazi guards and soldiers were apologizing to him for mistreating him because of his demeanor and how he acted. He didn't lash out. He was different from others he never looked fearful or hateful or bitter he said that there was they said there was such a peace about him who does that sound like to you jesus right it's a sanctification process of having peace and joy and courage all of these things even in the midst of suffering and that's what paul was talking about when he said we live under constant threat of death in our bodies because we serve jesus So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. In all our hardships, the Lord will be praised. Skip with me down to verse 16 of this. This is an incredible passage on perspective. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 16, you need to take this away with you, okay? Here's what you take away say the next sentence with me out loud. If you're going through hardship right now, you really need to proclaim this in faith today. Say it with me out loud. That is why we never give up. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up, he says. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. He said, even though, man, we're going through stuff that's so horrific right now, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our, what, present troubles, that's what he's talking about. Now think about what Paul is facing. He's facing death. He's facing persecution. They're wanting to kill him, and they would ultimately kill him at one point because of the Gospel. So think of what he says here. For our present troubles, what does he say? Are what? Small. Is he delusional? He has perspective. He says they're small. And then he also knows this. And they won't last very long. He has perspective about eternity. Now Paul knows something about them. What are they doing? Yet, even though they hurt, even though they're happening, even though they're small, and they are, he's not denying that they're going on, yet they do what? Produce. They do something within us. They're achieving something. They're not pointless. For a glory for for us, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will do what? Last forever. It's not just right now. It's the forever is what he's talking about. So this is what Paul says to do, and this is the choice. If you're going through hardship, we're not trivializing your hardship. We're acknowledging it. But you have a choice. You can't make the choice of whether or not you're going to go through a hard time. You will. Jesus said you would. You can have a choice in how you respond. Here's your choice. This is what Paul's was. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, what do we do? Instead, and now this is all in faith, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now, they will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Paul had perspective. What this passage of the Bible is saying is that every problem has a purpose. It's saying we're transformed by our our troubles. There's a reason for problems in our lives other people might even mean it for bad in your life. But what, when God is involved in your life, what the enemy means for evil, God can use for good because of his sovereignty. So I'm not going to focus purely on the problem itself. That's not just what I'm going to be fixed upon. In my flesh, that's all I want to look at is the problem that's right in front of me because that's what I can see. That's what I can touch. But in faith, I'm going to begin to look beyond and see and I'm going to fix my gaze on a bigger picture something that i can't see and what that needs is that needs faith on our part mustard seed faith i know some of you have been through such devastation pastor randy and our other pastors and other leaders in our church we've sat with you and we've walked with you as you as you've gone through the ashes of pain in your life i've i've seen some of you in the hospital rooms with you we've officiated some of the funerals But what Paul is not saying is that when trials come along, you don't need to have sorrow. That's completely opposite of what we've been teaching over the last four weeks. He's not saying that you you can't be engaged emotionally. He's not dismissing the emotion. He's just saying that as a follower of Christ, yes, you can be sorrowful, but you have to determine that you're not going to look at your hardships the way the rest of the world looks at them. Instead, you look at whatever it is that's going on in your life, with a different set of lenses. It's a different viewpoint. Because you know the character of God. You know that God is doing something in your life. Jesus said, you'll have trouble in this world. Peter said, don't be surprised when you have troubles and when you go through fiery fiery trials. Folks, this isn't heaven. This is the earth where it is still very hard and very broken, and very filled. We have not been saved yet from the presence of sin. That's why we have problems. That's why God told us in the Lord's Prayer, We're to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is. Where? In heaven. Why does He tell us to pray that way? Because there's a lot of stuff happening right here on this earth that's not good. Cancer is not good. War is not good. It's not, it was never in God's plan. Because of our sin and our choice, this has happened in this world. And and it's getting worse and worse as the world continues to go on. But anybody can bring good out of good. Only God can bring good out of bad. That's what He does. God could have kept Joseph in the Bible out of jail, couldn't He? But He didn't. He could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. But He didn't. Could He have kept Paul from being shipwrecked? We know that he could because we know he was in the in the, the ship with the, the disciples and he calmed the storm, right? But he let Paul be shipwrecked. Why? We're still talking about it even still today. He could have kept his son off the cross, but he didn't. Why? Because God had a greater plan. Now here's your takeaways, just real quick, okay? Some things to write down. Moving forward through hard times. If I'm going to do this, this is what you're going to take out of here. Then I have to remember that God's plan is good. I don't even see it with my own eyes, but I have to remember that his plan is good. I can't see it. I can't touch it right now. God told Jeremiah, this is where my faith kicks in. The plans I have for you are for good and for a hope and for a future. There are so many examples of this in the Scripture. We could just talk about Joseph. We don't have time to talk about his whole life, but you know Joseph's story. Go read it, Genesis 37 through 50, and you will see that God took a life that was messed up. For Joseph was accused of all of these horrible things and he had never done anything wrong. But through God's sovereignty, God preserved him and used it to preserve the line of the Jews that the Messiah would come through his name. God's plan is big. Joseph told his brothers who he need, who needed forgiveness because they had sold him into slavery. He told them, he said, you meant to harm me, but you meant it for bad in my life. But what men meant for evil, God used it and meant it for good statement of faith I right care. whenever I have short term thinking and all I think about is what I can see right now that's when I begin to get discouraged there's more to it I also, here's what I do is I, I have to choose to rejoice and give thanks I have to choose to rejoice Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians always be joyful never stop praying by the way, to always be joyful the only way that's going to happen is through the Holy Spirit working in your life We don't have it in and of ourselves. Never stop praying and listen to what he says right here in verse 18. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. It says, though, that you're to be thankful in all circumstances. I'm not thankful for the fact that my brother-in-law died of cancer last year. And my best friend. I'm not thankful for... Some of the other hardships that we have had, but I can be thankful in them. Why and even how is that possible? Because I know my God, and I know that even in the midst of what I can't see, God somehow is working in all of that. I don't get it, I don't understand it all, but I trust Him in it, and I can be thankful that it's not a pain in our lives that has been wasted. That's how I can also be joyful in all things. Was Paul just delusional when he wrote this? He was experiencing it. Here's your last thing. I refuse to give up. I'm not going to be derailed in my faith. I refuse. Paul said, I will not give up in 2 Corinthians when I have the proper perspective of my problems and my pain. that God, It's not that I'm still not going to sob at certain times and be sorrowful and hurt and all this. I'm just not giving up. And I'm going to keep moving forward. You need to keep taking steps forward. When I'm going through a problem, I have two choices. I can say, Lord, make this easy. Or I can say, Lord, use this for good in my life. I can say, Lord, comfort me. Or I can say, Lord, conform me. Use it for your good. When you understand that God's purpose is not to make you comfortable, but to make you more like Jesus, it begins to shift our thinking Instead of asking why all the times, which I, I do, and I, I don't get it. But instead, we start asking what? What are you wanting to do? What are you going to do through this? What's next, God? I'm going to ask you to pray with me, okay? In fact, what I'd like to ask you to do in our final moments is this. With our heads bowed, I want to ask you all just to stand up with me. Let's stand in prayer. And I want to pray for you. We've received the word of the Lord today. Here's what we did a few weeks ago, and I want to give you this opportunity again today in our final moments. If you're going through a difficult problem right now, you're going through hardship. It might be a financial problem, it could be a physical problem, maybe it's a health related issue, maybe you don't have a job. Maybe it's a relationship issue, conflict in your family, fears, doubts. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. This is a safe place in the house of the Lord for you to come to God with that problem. If you're struggling today, we've been teaching you you need to get real with God about your struggles. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask you just to sit back down rest in the presence of the Lord. Just sit now. You just sit before God. Just sit back down. If you're having a problem right now, if it's whatever it may be, just go ahead and, and trust that this is a safe place for you to do that. And I want you just to come to the Lord with what it is that you're dealing with before him, right now. For those of you who are still standing, there may be some folks around you that are seated. Here's what we do as the family of God. We are there for one another. I want you just to look around. And there may not be anybody around you. That's fine. But if there's somebody around you, you don't have to say anything to them. But I do want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you just to put your hand maybe on their shoulder. Come around them. Let them know they're not alone. They're grieving. They're hurting. They're struggling. We did this about four or five weeks ago. And a number of you said, I wish we'd do this more, but we're doing this again today. Where they just need to know that they're not by themselves and they're being prayed for. You begin to pray for them. If you're not with a person right now there, just start praying for the people who are hurting in this room. You stop pr- start praying for their strength that, that, that they would be able to have resolve to press through this. Start praying for their peace. God, give them peace. You don't have to pray that God changes their circumstances. He may do it and He may not. But God may begin to work a peace in their life that they didn't have prior to today. Pray for their joy as they are still before the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit minister to people. This is a holy time right now. I want to pray for you. Father, you see these who are seated before you today. I don't know what their problems are that they're going through, but without even knowing them, I know one thing is true, that while Satan means it for bad in their life, wants them to stay discouraged and despondent, God, because of who you are, you can take it and turn it to good. We can't even see it, Lord. We we don't know how you do that, but you do. That you can bring good even out of bad. I thank you, God, you can take bitter things in our lives and bring them together and bring good out of them. So, this is my prayer today for my friends, Lord, that are hurting. I pray, Father, that you would give them the strength to keep on going. Because, Lord, we know this. You have a greater plan. I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for every problem in our lives, every problem that's in here today that's represented. You have a purpose in it, God, even though we can't see. Even though we can't control what happens to us, Lord, we know that through your strength we can begin to control how we respond. So I pray, God, you would give us faith. Even a small amount of faith, you said, is enough. You would strengthen us. Teach us to be grateful, Lord, in all circumstances. Teach us to rejoice in the Lord always, even though things are hard right now. And, Lord, help us to take our focus off of the problem right now and to place it upon the eternal reward that we know that we have in you. Thank you for ministering to your people today. Thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us that this is not the end. It gives us hope. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.